Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 28 of the Great Canadian Hockey Podcast. On behalf of myself, James Percy, and I've got my co-host here, Aiden Sarah. How are you doing, fellow? What's new? Well, we are recording Monday. It was a long weekend, so I know you and I both were uh, both had a late night last night. So we're we're coming at you, um, little bit a uh, little bit gassed, but we're gonna put our heads down, do our best here. Uh, I'm I'm back home still, taking taking some time, you know. When there's no games in in Blackfolds, I can kind of do my job entirely off the laptop. So, just working from home here, getting to see some people. Me and James have linked up a couple of times. It's been fun. I have to say, like, I, I mean, I I guess I have to ask. Um, after all that time and all the quick visits, because I I uh I know how the quick visits feel when you try to jam everything into a short amount of time, and you try and see your friends, try and see your family in just a few days. After all those quick visits, how does it feel to actually be back home for an extended period of time? You get the whole breath of fresh air, you get to relax, and you get to do the fun things. Well, for me, I like it as far, like, the biggest difference is how much I get to be around my family. Because, yeah, when I'm here quickly, I'm I'm just kind of out the entire time. I'm on the go the entire time. Um so then when I'm here for a longer period of time, I'm 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 obviously out and, and moving around a lot, but it's the there's just more time to spend at home with my my parents and and just kind of be here, which is nice. So yeah, I mean it's it's been cool and yeah, like I gotta obviously commend my employer because like this flexibility is super sweet. I'm super content. You know, it's a lot of long hours during the season, but if the trade off is I get some flexibility, I get to be here, be happy in the summer, I'm I'm thrilled. It's sweet. I have one more question for you. Every time I drive to work down Kingsway, there's a small bar that I don't see many people go in and out of called Sarah's Bar. And it's spelled the exact same as your last name. And they ha- uh, it looks like they're footy fans. There's a soccer ball on the logo. Is that any connection to you whatsoever? No, the term Sarah in Portuguese, I don't think it directly translates to mountain, but it means something to that effect. Like, um it's mount or something is the direct translation uh so no we uh, i don't have a relation but it's it's obviously yeah it's it's just a portuguese word it's my last name but yeah portuguese cafe i actually haven't gone and i do mean to like i i didn't know that existed until i think around the time i was moving but yeah that would be a nice place to go watch some some portuguese soccer games and you can come and just see, watch me. You should watch me watch a Portugal game, man. You you would be like, you'd probably be a little bit freaked out. It, it gets intense. I mean, yeah, I always drive by and it's just these two old fellas. Just, I imagine they probably own the bar or work there. And they're just standing out, out front, tank tops on. And, uh, and they're always like hunched over, just sitting right there, just kind of waiting for something to happen. I assume those are days that there are no games on. Well, yeah, I mean, in the, you know, as, as is the case for everything kind of, but baseball right now, we're in the off season. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it's like on the weekends when there's like Portuguese club games, but next summer there's a European championship. So I imagine it'll be pumping, pumping for that tournament. It's always fun. I mean, just before we dive into hockey, because we have a ton of hockey news to get to, I have to say this time of year is the worst time to sit down at the sports bar because I really couldn't care less about baseball at all. Well, and baseball right now to me is at its like least interesting phase, right? Like I can totally sit down and rip some playoff baseball, 
the intensity and just like how how big those moments feel when you're watching it in in those playoff series is like it's 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 definitely worth your time if you're just a casual sports fan to watch some playoff baseball but there's 164 games during the season I just can't <laughs> I can't I can't you know I can't get excited to watch uh, just you know game whatever 55 and that's that's you know yeah and obviously hockey you've got hockey now where it's there's a lot of news but no games basketball likewise and then you're you've kind of got uh you've got soccer which there's some international games but when there's no major tournament it's not a not a whole lot of interesting stuff going on yeah so I, I don't disagree with you at all as much as you know for me personally at least every two years there's a major soccer tournament so I definitely get, can get excited for that but you know the uh, it's the odd number of years well and there's a lot going on in the hockey world right now where do you want to start well I kind of want to start with like a, a bad news, good news kind of thing. So coming out of the draft, the Montreal Canadiens took David Reinbacher, Austrian defenseman, fifth overall. Some people had that as a major reach. Like, for instance, I know in our mock draft, our friend Jeremy, who uh, came and helped us out with that, he had him a little bit farther down the draft board. But I had him I had him up at seventh overall. And if Montreal wanted a center, which they did, and Will Smith, Connor Bedard, Adam Fantilli, and Leo Carlson were all off the board. I think their next best option was a defenseman. And I can totally see to me, he was my number one defenseman on my draft board. So I was a little bit surprised they took him simply because I didn't think we were going to see Matt Vimichkov actually fall all the way to seven. I thought Montreal or San Jose was going to take him four or five. Um, so that part surprised me a little bit, but overall, I don't hate the pick. I actually think he and Lane Hudson, who's Montreal's second rounder last year, who played at Boston University this year, was had a phenomenal season. I think him and Lane Hudson is a perfect match as far as a deep part, uh, deep pairing goes. And I think you know down the line that's going to be one of the more dominant duos in the NHL on the back end. Um, but there were a tremendous amount of Montreal Canadiens fans who didn't like the pick, and and. Guys, like, again, I, James and I, I think we do a semi good job at least of staying positive on the podcast. Like we don't really like, I don't like the, the point at people to put them down, but if you, this is sorry. And, and roundabout way of saying like, if what's happening, David Reinbacher right now is there's a, a portion of Montreal Canadians fans who are targeting the kid on social media and like going after him and saying some very not okay things to him. Guys, if you're, tarnishing an 18 year old kid because you don't like that your team picked him in the draft you need to get a life like that's ridiculous I can't I can't even fathom the thought process that goes behind doing that if you're mad at the pick be mad at the organization be mad at the GM why are we ripping into an 18 year old like that's crazy um the guy obviously you know like <laughs> it's not his fault if you don't like the pick um now what I do have to say is um there was a very good story on twitter afterwards montreal canadians fan by the name of and i don't want to butcher the pronunciation i believe it's neron um asked her twitter followers which was a good portion of montreal canadians fans to send her um supportive messages for david reinbacher and she printed and wrote all these in a notebook for him and was able to give it to him so I really, really have to commend that Habs fan. Um, I'll drop, there's a Daily Hive article about it. When I write the description, it'll be in the show notes. So if you're listening on Spotify or Apple, you can click on this link and see the 
the story about the 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 book of supportive messages for him so you know like obviously we're kind of seeing the the worst and the best of hockey fans in this story so all that to say you know if you're sending an 18 year old kid hate messages on social media uh you're an awful person um however if you are this fan and these fans who sent the messages of support in return you know you did something awesome so yeah like i said kind of the best and the worst of hockey fans in this story but it kind of hopefully ended on a positive yeah man i i couldn't agree more here that that it's just the kid's 18 years old and we've seen stuff like this in canadian hockey markets where it just gets way out of hand and you know, you just have to hope that there's some kind souls out there who are going to kind of turn the tide the other way. And you don't want this becoming a thing. Like, aside from just this kid being mistreated, you don't want this becoming a thing where down the line, people are like, well, I don't want to go there if people are going to act like this. Like, come on, just because you didn't get the pick you wanted. Like, there's a, it just takes a whole new level to armchair GMs. It's it's a lot it really is a lot but and like i said like i was personally pretty upset with the canucks pick at 11 and i i know there were some canucks fans that kind of shared that sentiment but never in a million years would it have occurred to me to go after the guy they picked because i was unhappy with the pick like you know i i I'm, i was upset because I don't like leaving best player available on the board in the draft because you're drafting for position, but that's my, that's a bone to pick with management. That's a bone to pick with who actually made the decision to draft the player. The player is completely blameless in that. He's just going to an organization who, who picked him. Like this should be the happiest part of this kid's professional career so far getting drafted into the NHL. And yeah, it's disappointing that that was at least marginally tarnished. But at the end of the day, like I said, I hope, uh, I hope David Reinbacher, find some solace in, in the support he's had since and yeah um anyways that's the first 10 minutes of the podcast we can move on after i just you know i i probably wouldn't have brought it up in such detail if i was just like shaming the group of fans that did that but i more so wanted to shine a light on how awesome uh how awesome it was to see ryan bacher get gifted a huge huge collection of, of supportive messages and everything so you know if by chance somebody who is involved in that is listening uh pat on the back round of applause you did awesome so thank you so much definitely and um again i will echo all of that sentiment but moving on pierre luc dubois and uh he's not traded to the team we were just talking about pierre luc dubois has been traded to the los angeles kings in turn for gabe velarde alex iofalo and a second round draft pick i believe as well as Rasmus Kupari. So as well as Rasmus yeah, Kupari. Four pieces going back for Dubois. Uh, do you want to go first on this? Yeah. Um, I see a lot of people saying the Jets ran away with it. I'm not going to say they ran away with it, but uh, because I think the team that gets the best player in the deal, you go down the line and that you look years in the future, and that's usually the team that won the trade. That's uh, especially when it comes to these uh, these combinations of several pieces all going one way. But, you know, Gabe Velarde has shown flashes recently in the last couple of years, year and a half, being a great player and uh, getting back on that path. And 
Bakari, it's yet to be seen. I follow his nice depth piece. It remains to be seen whether he's going to end up traded, whether he's going to uh, sign an extension there after this coming year, what's going to happen there. And second round pick, that's nice icing on the cake. I think the Jets did everything they could with this one. I don't think they were going to get a better return than that from anyone, really. Um, and the Kings got their guy. Um, I think the Kings keep doing this thing where they acquire more and more players and suffocate their prospects because they feel that they are getting more competitive. And um, that kind of bothers me because if you were going to, if you're going to cut these prospects off, then trade them, get rid of them. Yeah, I know what you mean, but if you kind of take a step back here, they add Pierre Dubois, sure, but I follow Kupari and Velarde. That's still, <laughs> you're still adding one forward and you're taking away three. So you've got, you know, you've got, you know, <laughs> two spots remaining in that forward course. So yeah, the Kings, you know, maybe a Jared Anderson Dolan gets a step up. Quinton Byfield maybe moves into the Velarde spot and, you know, Dubois occupies the IFLO time, uh, time on ice uh, window there. I think you nailed the nailed it on the head when you said that the Jets did pretty much everything they could have. I completely agree with that. Like Pierre-Luc Dubois, um, you know, he, he, he informed them this wasn't going to happen. He wasn't going to resign. So if you're the Winnipeg Jets, your leverage in any really sort of trade situation is gone, aside from the fact that you can say to a team, well, we have a better offer from somebody else. And we knew the Montreal Canadiens were in on Pierre-Luc Dubois. That's kind of been the link for a long time. Um, uh, from what I've heard, the stall in a trade talk between Winnipeg and Montreal was the Winnipeg was willing to take future assets from the Canadians, but not the future assets the Canadians were willing to give up. And when the LA Kings' offer came in with three roster players, the the, the Jets jumped on that. Um, yeah, I know uh, you touched on it already. Um, anybody who's saying that Winnipeg completely fleeced LA is wrong. Um, anybody who's saying LA fleece Winnipeg is also wrong. This is a really good trade for both teams. Uh, don't forget Pierre-Luc Dubois after kind of that bubble playoffs was very highly touted as far as just being a, a number one center. Like he had an amazing 2019 playoff with Columbus. He didn't produce, but he was an absolute bull. He would played in every situation for the blue jackets when they beat Tampa in the four game sweep. Um, the numbers weren't there as much as maybe some of his teammates, but he still played very well. He played very well. Uh, to see Columbus pass Toronto in that qualifying round in 2020. He had a big hat trick, including an overtime winner in that series. And, you know, for Winnipeg, the last two years, 21-22, 81 games, 60 points, 22-23, 73 games, 63 points. This is a guy for me that he he's a first-line center. And you've got an LA Kings team now with uh, Dubois, Kopitar, and Deneau down the middle. That's loaded. You're, you're absolutely stacked. Um, the contract, $8.5 million, that's you know, it's a lot of money. Eight years will take him to 33 years old, but the cap's going to go up during that deal, obviously. So I do think it's going to kind of, you know, if, if it feels like a lot now, it's not going to feel like as much in a couple of years. Moving to the the Winnipeg return. I like Gabe Velarde a lot. He's been inconsistent. Really good 2021 season, 10 goals, 23 points in 54 games. Then in 21-22, couldn't stick. Played 25 games, only had seven points played in the AHL, and then last year started off super hot, was right up there in terms of goal-scoring leaders in the NHL at the beginning of the year, cooled off a little bit, finished the year with 23 goals, 41 points in 63 games. Gabe Velarde, to me, though, James, has top six top six upside, if not playing on the first line. Like, this guy is a very good player. He could still develop. Part of 
his uh, part of his career has been marred by injuries, even back to junior. So if Gabe Velarde can string a couple healthy seasons together in a row, the Winnipeg Jets could really have a player here. Like you said, Ix Alifal was a good depth piece, middle six four, never scored more than seventeen goals in a year, but he definitely has the potential to hit twenty with the right line mates. And I was a huge fan of Rasmus Kupari coming out of junior. He's a very smart player. Um, it looks like his ceiling might have to be uh, a bottom six forward at this point. He's 23 years old and his most productive goal scoring season has been five <laughs> in his career. So not to say that it can't still happen for him, but regardless, I still like the player. I still like the pickup for the jets because it gives you some good depth. It gives you a guy that you can play on the penalty kill uh, when there's some injuries, you can definitely slot in. He's got the offensive upside to play on, for instance, the second power play unit. And I I think this is one of the more, like, both teams win trades that we've seen in a long time. Obviously, we'll see what happens down the line. We'll see if potentially Gabe Velarde turns into a 35-goal scorer or if all three of these players for Winnipeg don't do anything, right? Or if Dubois, what Dubois does for LA. So the result of the trade is still going to, be revealing itself just kind of like the Kachuk Huberto trade last year. So we'll see, but I like it for both teams. That's really the sentiment I was left with. That's the, that's the lasting impression it's given me is both teams win. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess the biggest question moving forward about this trade is what is Gabe Velarde's ceiling? Because if Gabe Velarde is the same level as Pierre-Luc Dubois is, then you're just thinking, Oh, Okay, so LA did get a bunch of oh sorry, uh, Winnipeg did get a bunch of extra stuff. That's that, that that's really the one thing moving forward is what can Gabe Velarde be because I feel like I'm pretty solid in the identity of Pierre Luc Dubois. Like I think that guy's established himself in what kind of player he is. You know the numbers may not always be there, but that guy is a lot to play against. He's your modern day two way power forward center. He's uh, he can play dirty. He can be creative offensively. He's a killer in the defensive zone. I I feel sorry for offensive centers that have to go up against him all the time. That's uh, especially guys who <laughs> I I feel like he's one of those players who's going who's like he's like a rookie center's nightmare. You're matching up against a rookie center and you're just like. like you're, I mean, you're you're in your first few games matching up against Pierre-Luc Dubois, and you're just like, oh, this is this is gonna be rough. But yeah, it's uh, it's the kind of thing where I could, I could very very much see Pierre-Luc Dubois in that Kings jersey, just wreaking havoc on the Pacific Division for years to come. And it's a Pacific Division that keeps getting stronger and stronger. And for the LA Kings, they're looking at that, and you said it yourself, they're. You know, they've maybe not uh, not paved the way for these prospects to come up because they want to stay competitive. They want to stay, you know, stay active in the in, in, in competing in that Pacific division. And this will help them do it right. They're 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 keeping up with with the teams around them and, and whatnot. And, you know, you've got him for eight years. So you're really hoping that he he develops into not only what he is now, but into uh, as much as a dominant first line center as he can be. And that's, you know. I think sky's the limit for Dubois really in LA. Um, before we go to the free agent signings, one more quick note. Uh, the Chicago Blackhawks have uh, grabbed a line mate for Connor Bedard. How do you think Taylor Hall and Bedard, two first overall picks, will mesh? Uh, they'll mesh even better with a third first overall pick when Hall undoubtedly wins them the draft lottery. 
could you imagine uh Connor Bedard and Macklin Celebrini? Or uh, Connor Bedard and Cole years? Iserman. Yeah, well we'll see, obviously. Uh we've seen uh touted first overall picks go into their draft year and then end up as second rounders or worse, right? That's happened. Yeah. The Vancouver Canucks have Atu Ratu. They got him in a trade with the Islanders, ended up going in the fifties. He came into the season in his draft year as the first overall guy. So yeah, it could be Celebrini, could be Iserman. It I I've seen a lot of Macklin Celebrini. It doesn't look like that guy's gonna fall off anytime soon. Um, but regardless, yeah, you're right. Cole Iserman's a goal scoring machine, but we'll talk more about that uh, another time. Well, so but... what I'm thinking here, James, is I'll I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a free agent name at you, give you their contract, and we can go through it. Actually, before we do that, you're the Colorado Avalanche fan. I feel the need to quickly ask you what you think of Alex Newhook's deal I think um the assets acquired for Alex Newhook getting a first and second round pick I mean admittedly a late first but in a deep draft where there were a lot of very talented guys still still on the table um and with Colorado's prospect pool having looked a little bit depleted over the couple years of trading everyone away like people forget that um, within the same week, they traded away Justin Barron and Drew Hellison. Like, those are both very good D prospects. And yeah, I got them a cup, but you have to restock the cupboard at some point. And uh, that's that's what was happening here. Uh, Sackick and Chris McFarlane were looking at other options for guys to play center, the middle six. And um, yeah, they, they found their guys and Newhook just wasn't fitting in. I, I'm really excited to see if he's going to get more of an opportunity in Montreal. Yeah, and the Montreal Canadiens down the middle are really interesting. And obviously, you have some of these guys that can play wing. But right now, you're looking at four centers that are Nick Suzuki, Kirby Doc, Alex Newhook, and Sean Monaghan. And that's that's a deep that's a deep four down the middle. We're going to do, obviously, season predictions coming up. But James, like that Atlantic division, the, the tides are changing. I genuinely believe. And as much as the Panthers just went on this run, man... I believe it's the only top team of the Atlantic or the teams that were the top teams in the last few years that is going to stay a top team in the next couple of seasons to come is going to be the Toronto Maple Leafs. I think Boston, Florida, and Tampa are going to be supplemented by how strong Buffalo, Ottawa, Montreal, and even Detroit are getting here. This Atlantic division is is kind of, you can see the risers, you can see the fallers. And I think teams like Boston, teams like Tampa are going to need to, make a decision here because there's going to come a time where they're just not good enough to compete. So I think now is the time to decide, are you tearing it down? Or are you really, really pushing all your chips in? And that's going to be interesting to watch. Um, so yeah, what I'm going to do here, I'll give you a name. I'll give you a contract. Uh, there's too many of these for us to go through every single one, especially because the nature of James and I is we'll be like, Oh, let's do two sentences. And then we'll talk for five minutes. I think that's, <laughs> that's definitely how that would go. <laughs> So I'll just go through the list starting um, starting I'll start on June 30th and I'll start with Aiden Hill. He gets a two year re-signing uh, re-signing contract with the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, $9.8 million total value, $4.9 million a season. Um, personally, I think he ends up the 1B. I think him and Logan Thompson make up what will be a good uh, partnership. Robin Leonard's health is obviously still a question mark, but I think the safest bet here, James, is Hill and Thompson end up what Vegas will hope to be a strong uh, goaltending partnership. What do you think? Um, 
me who prepared for fantasy in my keeper pool next year by uh having Logan Thompson, Pyotr Kochekov, um I'm not happy <laughs> because neither of these are gonna work out and I need to figure out a new goalie situation. But all in all, um I'm I'm glad they're gonna have some stability. That's uh it's been a revolving door for a bit with injuries, uh other guys stepping up. Um I think Hill and Thompson, you got a one A, one B. Uh, which one is which i don't know they're both very solid competent goalies as we can see right now so i think uh it's good for them they shored it up and uh eden hill seems to be a popular guy there um to be honest i didn't think he was going to resign i thought he was going to go to free agency but you know pleasant surprise for them and their fans because he seems to be a very well liked guy there i know we said we were going to go through signings um we are but we kind of missed a, a trade aspect to the signing. Yegor Sharangovich in a third to Calgary for Tyler DeFoley. Sharangovich extends with the Flames two-year contract, 3.1 annually. I saw a lot of people that were very upset about this. Maybe I'm just higher on Sharangovich than other people. I know Toffoli just had a 34-goal, 73-point season. But before that, he'd only scored 31 other time. He'd never hit 70 points. He'd never hit 60 points before then. <laughs> um, he's 31 years old. Sharon Govich is a 25-year-old centerman who, in his sophomore season in 21-22, had 24 goals and 46 points in 76 games. And I believe only took a step back last year because the New Jersey Devils beefed up their forward core. I really like this trade for the Flames. I like this trade for the Devils because Toffoli's just yet another strong forward to add to an already strong forward core. The Sharon Govich contract is value. I think if he's the second line center in Calgary next year, he has 25 goal, 50 point upside. What do you think? I don't think you're wrong at all. And uh, he's the kind of guy who, you know, Calgary needs some players who they can go. Are you going to mesh with Huberto? Are you going to mesh with Huberto? Like somebody's got to be able to do it. And so I think they're just looking at this and going, all right, let's, Let's find some guys with some offensive upside and Sharon Govich is one of them. And, you know, he could very well just slot in with Huberto and end up with 65 points next year. He could also end up a third line center or winger and end up with 30 points next year. I have no idea. I've, I have zero idea how he's going to slot in. We are very unfamiliar with how Calgary's new coach, Ryan Huska, is going to use him. We don't know how he's going to use anyone. So it's uh, I think it's very debatable. And this is one that we're not really going to we're not going to know how this works out until about halfway through next year. And we see how players are slotting in. Uh, I think the reason Calgary fans are disappointed because you think you you see a guy that you acquired have a very good season and uh, and he's seemingly on his way out and you think, oh, we're going to get to sell high. And you don't see that magical first round pick come back. If it said first round pick and there was some depth player. I feel like they would have been just as happy. The thing is, you get that late first rounder, you're Calgary. That guy is, whoever you pick is not slotting in at all. This year, probably not next year, maybe the year after, might not even end up being a player. This way, they have a solid player and they got a pick. I think this was a good return, but it just doesn't have that shiny new toy feeling that the Calgary fans were probably hoping to see uh, coming back for a guy they wanted to sell high. Yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. Uh, there's three other signings actually from June 28th that I'm going to go through before we get to the July 1st ones. 
Um, Timo Meyer, eight years, $8.8 million a season. That is a contract extension with the aforementioned New Jersey Devils. James, 40 goals last year for Meyer. How do you like the deal? This is another one that it's going to take me some time to have some thoughts because, uh, I mean, it's no surprise that he, Timo Meyer did not perfectly flush with that Devils team when he slotted in. After after he was acquired, it, I mean, there were kind of some growing pains, some getting used to things. He was uh, alongside Carlson. He was the guy in San Jose. Like he was, he was the guy up front. So I think um, adjusting to that and being one of the guys in that devil's top six and that devil's top six is disgusting. <laughs> but now that they've got Brat and Meyer extended, they they've added Tyler to Foley to what already includes Jack Hughes, Nico Heischer, and Andre Palat in a perfect utility player. That's uh, or Dawson Mercer, whichever one of them actually is in the top six. I, it's a very dangerous offense. Like I, uh, I think having him locked up moving forward, it, it really gives a sense of security. And so now this devil's core, I mean, front end and back end, it's locked up. It really is. I mean, uh, we're going to see Simone Nemich and Luke Hughes deals in the future as they make their way as steady NHLers, but they're locked up. So now what you're going to see is this devil's team is going to be doing the plug and play thing. It's like, okay, let's, Let's find the right utility guys, the right deadline acquisitions, the right role players until we go on a deep run. And that's when it gets really fun for fans of a team that, you know, was middling or not really doing it for a few years. This is where it gets exciting. So I, I'm excited to watch that offense flush and I'm excited for their fans. Well, I just, I, I think we talked about this earlier in the season. I just want to quickly shine a light on the New Jersey Devils is is cap salary cap situation because what they've done is they've taken some calculated risks on some young players locking them up to high AAVs long-term contracts and it's completely completely hit they found gold in this strategy okay James Timo Meyer just signed 8.8 million dollars till 2031 however Jack Hughes is making eight a year until 2030 this is a guy that was just under 100 points that is a bargain Jesper Brad just signed a contract extension. He's going to be making 7.8 till the end of 2031. Now, Jesper Brat, if he continues to play the way he has in the last two seasons, that's going to turn into a bargain. Nico Heischer might already be one of the best bargain contracts in the NHL. 7.25 until 2027. That's four more years. They have this selkie caliber two-way forward locked up. Andre Palat, $6 million until 2027. He's already 32 years old. That's one of the ones that might age a little bit poorly. But then you go down to the defense. Again, another one that I'm not super high on is Dougie Hamilton, 30 years old, $9 million bucks till 2028. He's definitely going to be worth that for a couple more years. We'll see if or when the fall-off happens. But they've got John Marino, very useful right shot defenseman, $4.4 million till 2027. That's a bargain. Jonas Siegenthaler, really good, really underrated left shot defenseman, 26 years old, $3.4 million till 2028. They just traded for Colin Miller. I really like Colin Miller. I think he's a very, very useful kind of four or five bubble guy. He's on a very good cheap contract for next season. And then you said it, Luke Hughes and Simo Nemec are coming up. For me, as long as they address the goaltending thing, is it going to be Akira Schmid? Is it going to be Vitek Vanacek? They traded Mackenzie Blackwood, so we know it's not going to be him anymore. But the only 
thing they have to worry about in the next couple seasons. It's number one, Dawson Mercer's ELC expires. They'll need to sign him. He'll be an RFA. And Akira Schmid's got one more year at 850000 So they'll see what they have out of Schmid. But overall, James, this, <laughs> this Devils team, like we just saw them, let's be honest, probably surprised some people by beating the Rangers. Didn't have what it took to beat the Hurricanes, but this team's legit and this team's on the rise and they've managed their salary cap very well to be able to splash on the Timo Meyer. And if Timo Meyer has 40 goal upside for them with Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer's, you know, uh, caliber that they've shown Jesper Brad, obviously as well, like this, uh, this New Jersey team is going to make some noise. They really, if they're not on your Stanley cup writer, they should be. Definitely. And, and uh, you just said surprise some people by beating the New York Rangers. We should note that that's a, that was a surprise to both of us because Aiden and I both had the Rangers going to the finals. So that's uh, that's our flub that we will own. Well, and I'll do you one better. I don't think you had them winning the cup. I did. <laughs> uh, so maybe a little bit more of a, a swing and a miss for me. Um, one, this isn't, we don't need to, maybe spend too much time on the player himself. I really like David Camp. Toronto gets him 2.4 million a season, but they sign him for four years. He's 28 years old, bottom six forward, really good penalty killer, ceilings a third line center. This isn't the only time, and we'll go over a couple more, where you saw a depth player get a longer term deal to lower the AAV. Now, the Colorado Avalanche did with Miles Wood, we'll get there. But, you know, as a Canucks fan, I saw Vancouver try this with Antoine Roussel and Jay Beagle, and it really didn't work out. What do you think of this strategy? You know, like a low AAV, longer term for a bottom six forward. David Camp, four years in Toronto. I like him a lot. I just want to know what you think, maybe briefly on Camp, but also on the kind of just the the, the strategy in general, the the concept of, like I said, lower the AAV by bringing up the total salary in term well briefly on camp he's a solid player he's going to play on your penalty kill he has a solid transitional game he's useful in the neutral zone and he's a guy who's skilled enough that if you want to put some scoring wingers with him you're not going to regret it like it's 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 going to work out every which way um i think in a perfect world on a contending team you probably want him as your fourth line center but I mean, he's going to get the job done and they have talented guys to play with them. Like I think slotting him with Matthew Nyes is actually kind of a fun idea. I think those two games would really mesh well. Um, but in terms of the contract, I think this is really a change in philosophy with new management coming in and Brad tree living because you look at this and Toronto's bottom six has just been a revolving door of guys on short-term deals for the last few years, whether it's acquiring guys at the deadline, one-year deals uh, in, in the off season, whether it's guys they've traded for that are uh, in the off season or early in the year, they're going to be expiring. And then it's just, okay, let's do all of this work to completely replace our bottom six all over again. And, you know, you kind of lose some chemistry there. We, we talked a lot at length during the year about how this was finally the year that Vegas's players got to really know each other and finally had this grow, had this time to grow chemistry. But with Toronto, it's just been, like I said, a revolving door. So, like I said, change of philosophy. You you lock up a guy who's going to be steady in your bottom six for a long time. And I'm a big fan of that kind of operation. I think um, I think I think that's a great move. I mean, yeah, you know, sometimes that term can scare you off. So you got to know what you're getting into. But I think uh, I think people around this league already know what David Camp brings to the table. He's he's going to be a solid player. And uh, I think 
uh, moving forward through the next few years, I think we're going to kind of notice this trend of guys who were playing in Chicago as Chicago was getting really bad, who are becoming useful around the league elsewhere. And I have this feeling that at some point, Taylor Radish is going to join that group and explode. Yeah, Taylor Radish was a guy that in junior looked like he could just be a pure, just put him below the face off dots in the offensive zone. He will just score goals around that net like crazy. And he's starting to kind of be that in Chicago. You said it, the Blackhawks don't have a whole lot of spotlight on him just because of the nature of the the quality of that team and their record. So like you said, maybe some of these guys are going under the radar, but that's not going to happen for long. There's going to be a huge spotlight. His name's Connor Bedard on that Blackhawks organization. So that's going to elevate some guys as well. Five years, $5 million, $5 million a season for Vegas Golden Knights center Ivan Barbashev to resign in Vegas. Stanley Cup champion Barbashev locks down. He was probably going to be one of the uh, one of the more, I'll say one of the more sought after guys in free agency. Uh, but he doesn't hit it, doesn't hit the open market. Personally, I'll just lead. I thought he might have been able to get a little bit more than that after the way he played in the playoffs. But the 27-year-old stays in Vegas and he'll no be No state tax. That <laughs> I there was a few times where my dad and I were kind of looking at the contract and I he was kind of saying, Oh man, one year, two million dollars for this guy, I would have done that. And I said to him, I'm like, two million dollars in Dallas, Texas is a lot more than two million dollars in Vancouver, BC, right? And that that's a real factor. That is a very real factor here. So Ivan Barbashev keeps more of his 25 million bucks to stay in Vegas. Uh James, I love it. For both teams. Yeah, you look at it and um, as a fan, you know, I, I drift between realist and 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 uh, loyalty very often. Unfortunately, the realist always takes over. The sad cost of this was they had to ship Riley Smith to the Penguins for a third round pick. That was what they had to give up so that they could do this, so that they could sign Aiden Hill. Those were the two options they went for, and they could do two of the three. It's it's, it's tough. You know, they, they lose one of their misfits. But uh, the, that moment where they started all the misfits in the cup finals there, uh, all of those original Golden Knights, that just seems all that much more special now that Riley Smith is on his way out. And, you know, Barbashev, he's going to play with Jack Eichel for a long time. And they really liked him and Jack Eichel playing together. So I think this is a guy we're going to see continually pile up points. And this deal is going to look like a steal. And you know what? That's probably about 6.57 million in other markets. It is. It just is. If you're in California, if you're in Canada, if you're, if you're, I don't know, if you're in the state of New York, there's a lot of places where the tax situation is a lot worse and uh, Barbashev stayed where he knows he's going to play well. That's another thing that can't be discounted. That guy just had a crazy run. And even if they didn't win the cup, he saw how well he performed in their system and with their players. I'd say even if they even if they got knocked out in the second round, considering how well he performed, I think that still would have been his first choice to re-sign there. Don't disagree with you about any of that. The other thing, too, you said he was playing with Jack Eichel. He was playing left wing with Eichel, but... The thing with Barbashev, he's got the ability, he's got the capability to play center, play it well. So the Vegas Golden Knights, who at a time had maybe a glaring hole down the middle, now have a plethora of top six or top nine centermen. Eichel, Stevenson, Carlson, Barbashev can all fill that role. So 
Vegas just won the Stanley Cup, and you know, uh, I don't think they're going anywhere. So, uh, we'll we'll move on. Next one, we're gonna start with some of the some of the July first signings. Obviously, like I said, we're not gonna go through all of them. We'll probably do kind of you know more of a season preview type dealio with kind of looking at as many teams as we can, and then we'll we'll talk about some new additions to them at that point. But just for the sake of of running through these, I'll start with Ryan O'Reilly. James is uh, potentially favorite player in the NHL right now. Four-year contract with the Nashville Predators, $4.5 million a season, $18 million total, 32 years old. Uh, Barry Trotz, interesting, very interesting. Not doing what I thought he was going to do here because Nashville, to me, was a team that screamed, let's rebuild. They traded Johansson with retention. They bought out Duchesne, which shocked me. And then they sign O'Reilly. So I, you know, I, I can't say that I expected the post David Poyle era of the Nashville Predators to start this way. What do you think? I do think the four years is very interesting because in that fourth year, if they're not good, he's going to get traded for an asset. He's going to be a rental. Um, O'Reilly's the kind of guy where it's like, all right, he's uh he his game won't deteriorate in the same way because he was never a breakneck speed kind of guy. He's always going to be useful in his own zone. He's always going to be a killer in the faceoff dot, and he's always going to be a leader. So you know what? Like I, if Nashville starts bringing in a lot of young guys over the next couple of years, I'm gonna really love this for them. And if Nashville moves off some of the other guys in their leadership core. I'm going to really love it for them. If Nashville just kind of sits in limbo and picks between nine and 15 for the next four, three, four years, I'm not going to love this for them. It makes you wonder about sense of direction. Um, One of the words I've heard with all of these trots moves is culture change. And I wonder if some of that culture was being okay with being average. Ryan O'Reilly is not a player that's okay with being average. If the team is playing average, he still wants them all to care 150%. Yeah, no, I, I totally understand that. Uh, Nashville, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see. It's definitely, I think to me anyways, it's going to have to be like a, a sit back, wait and see kind of thing. Um we I guess let's jump forward very quickly. We were going to talk about this. Nashville reportedly offered three major assets to the Montreal Canadiens for that fifth overall pick that they used on David Reinbacher. Those assets were Yaroslav Iskarov, the 15th and the 24th overall pick. James, that was for five. They had to be going after Mishkov, right? Had to be. You would think... Um... From everything I've heard and presumably you've heard, Michkov kind of had three teams that he purposefully interviewed well with. Maybe a couple more, but you kind of wonder if Nashville was on that list. It sounds like it was Philly, Washington, and then one or two mystery teams. Um, You'd wonder if Nashville was one of those teams because uh, their, their project could be for a few years from now. That, that that really could be it. Uh, that could be, all right, we're starting the new generation of the Nashville Predators in 2027. Um, 
you kind of wonder about that. You don't really know what other pieces would be involved or what variation of that deal it would be. But yeah, um, to be honest, I'm just as big of a Matt Vemichkov fan as anyone. I'd ship the house for him. Self-farm. If I'm Montreal, I actually do that. Jaroslav Askarov looks like an absolute monster. Looks like a if stud. I'm Montreal, I see that, and I'm like, well, there's still going to be a pretty solid impact player at 15. Sandine Pelika was there if they wanted a right-shot defenseman. I don't think Sandine Pelika is as good as Reinbacher, but to add potentially not only a goalie of the future, but somebody who looks like he could be one of the more elite goaltenders in the entire NHL, I would have done that. Now, obviously, the pick's been made. Moving on, uh, this is kind of a half draft, half very quick uh, uh, signing thing because Adam Fantilli inks his entry-level deal three years with the Columbus Blue Jackets. Just so everybody's aware, Adam Fantilli can no longer go back to the University of Michigan. The NCAA, he got a professional contract. He's now a professional athlete. He no longer has NCAA eligibility. Um, So he will either play in the NHL or the AHL. James, might be bold, might be getting ahead of myself. He, I say game one, he starts the season as the first line center in Columbus. What do you think? I think he starts the season, gets the trial, and then uh, Mike Babcock is Mike Babcock, and he puts him in the minors and does the Detroit Red Wings uh, old model of development, and he plays most of the season in the AHL, comes back up at the end, if anything. That's interesting, yeah. Well, we've been told this is a new Mike Babcock, right? So we'll see exactly just how new this Mike Babcock is. Yeah, uh, I mean, new is only going to mean new philosophy with players and a new way to look at situations, but he's still going to develop players the same way he develops players. He's not going to take everything that made him successful and throw it out the window. No, I don't disagree with that. And and yeah, we'll obviously see. I Just to me personally, I like Boone Jenner. Ken Johnson was playing the wing, so we'll see what ends up happening with with Johnson. But I like Jack Roslevic, another guy who has flip-flopped between wing and center. Right now, I actually think Adam Fantilli is their most talented centerman, like today. (laughs) Not will be, is. So we'll see in the end what Columbus wants to do next year. Uh, Just for everybody right now, I just want to put it out there. David Juracek is going to be a Calder finalist next year. People don't understand how good this guy is. Like, I haven't seen any love for David Juracek. If the Columbus Blue Jackets give him the opportunity to play top four minutes, this guy is going to blow people away. This guy is phenomenal. And for Columbus, I think I texted you, James, when uh, when the second that Anaheim drafted Leo Carlson and I said Columbus is winning the Cup in three years. <laughs> so uh, obviously I'm, I'm very high on both the team they have and the prospects that are coming up. I am. But uh, this is Columbus did. I, I, I really, really like Yarmo Kekalainen and what he's done here. This is awesome. Um, I, I just worry about getting ice time for these young defensemen. They also have like Denton Matejchuk. Yeah. Like, like where, where are these guys going to find ice time? Wurenski well, munches minutes. Boquist can get a shot. Severson and Provorov. Yeah. It's, it's going to be tough, but. Andrew well, Peak. Okay. So you got one spot. I think Andrew Peak's going to move on. Uh, I've, I've. I uh, hope so for everyone's sake. He's a yeah. solid player, too. He is. Okay, quickly turning a corner. Ryan Reeves, three-year contract with the Leafs. It's another bottom six guy locked up. $1.35 million. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's a no for me, dog. <laughs> 36-year-old Ryan Reeves, who 
has had his effectiveness dwindle. I I like a lot of Toronto's moves, and we'll get to some of them. I didn't like this one. I like Revo as a personality. I think he brings a lot of flair to the league. Uh, in in his own way, I like watching him punch people. And I like watching him talk to the media. He's a treat, and Toronto media is going to love him until they don't, and then they will again. It's going to be uh, it's going to be a, a cycle, and he's the kind of guy who can relish in it. He's not going to have his feelings hurt by them. Um, and this is such a Brad Tree living move. This is such a Brad Tree living move. Yeah, this guy Tree if Tree Living was still in Calgary. Lucic would still be in Calgary. This is what he does. He is old school in the way that he, he, the way he looks at it, his team needs to have a personality enforcer. Um, Was Revo the option considering how the Leafs play? I don't know. I really don't know. Is Sheldon keep going to coach his team differently with a different GM? Probably not. I I don't know. I don't I don't know if this was the best use of cap situation, but maybe it's another culture change idea. Yeah, I don't uh, completely see it. I like Revo. Me too. Cool guy. Too. Yeah. Odd odd contract. Yeah. Luke Shen gets eight point two five million dollars from the Nashville Predators to be paid over three years, two point seven five per. Luke Shen has earned some respects. Tampa Bay, Vancouver. some respect on his name. Yeah, Tampa Bay and Vancouver. The last few years, he's been a very steady right shot defenseman. Uh, it's another kind of head scratcher as far as the team goes. Nashville again, like I said, I think it's it's tear down rebuild time, but they clearly don't. And Luke Shen is going to be useful for them. Is he going to be useful at thirty six at the end of this contract? Maybe, maybe not. Um, I'll give it a B. <laughs> on the signing personally uh it's it's good for the team good for the player a little bit of an overpay he earned this one i i'm i'm happy for him he definitely earned this one you know when luke shen was drafted very high and uh on the cover of hockey news magazine it said the new face of the toronto maple leafs blue line that's probably the fourth time i've referenced that on this podcast since we started it um they were far different expectations for him than what he ended up becoming. And I am very, very proud of the, uh, I say proud, like he isn't older than me and hasn't accomplished so much more than me in his life. But I'm so proud of the person and player he's become. He's such a well-liked guy and such a well-respected guy. I'm really happy that ever since that signing in Tampa, ever since then, it's just been a straight turnaround. And he is such a desired and well-wanted guy. And I don't doubt that at the end of this contract, he's going to be a highly sought after deadline acquisition. Yeah, no, you're 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 totally right. It's the longevity thing for me. It's how long does he have left in this this very uh, <laughs> speeding up NHL? I guess I'll put it. You're talking about the all time leader in hits in the NHL. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. That's uh, that is a record. That's a full on record. That's awesome. $20 million, five years. That's $4 million per year for Jonas Corposalo to the Ottawa Senators. Oh, James, Ottawa's really, really, really putting a lot of eggs in that Corposalo basket here. I don't like it. You don't? No. 
I like Corpus Allo. I just have a weird feeling. I have a really okay. weird feeling. <laughs> sure. No, I have I mean... a stinking gut feeling about this. I like Corpus Allo. I like the Senators. I really enjoy the Senators. I think Corpus Allo is an incredibly talented goalie. We've watched some awesome performances from him, but I don't like it. I get, I'm getting bad juju from this man. And yeah, maybe <laughs> it isn't the most reporter-like thing to say I don't like it because I'm getting bad <laughs> juju. But no, this is... This is uh this is one that worries me. I don't know why. I think he's a very talented player, and I think the cap hit was fair too. Like I think he earned every dollar he's making. But I I don't know something just something's weird about it. I honestly would have rather they go into the season with Mad Showgard and an experienced veteran backup. Yeah, and that's putting a lot of eggs in the Showgard basket, but this isn't their year to boom or bust as far as competing goes. So maybe this was the year to do that. Um, speaking of goaltenders, the Carolina Hurricanes double down on their tandem. Anti-Ranta gets one year, 1.5. Freddie Anderson gets 3.4 each for two years, 6.8 total. Um, I like it because I think Ranta and Anderson start the season 1-2. Anti-Ranta will not finish the season with the Carolina Hurricanes. I think he's going to be moved to a team that needs like a 1B kind of veteran. Basically, like you said, maybe the insulation for a team with a per se Matt Shogard. It's obviously not going to be Ottawa because of the Corpus Allo signing, but something to that effect. And it's going to be Piotr Kochekov and Freddie Anderson. And if you're the Hurricanes, having Freddie Anderson as potentially a 1B to Kochekov by next year at 3.4, nothing wrong with that. They didn't have to commit too much money or too much term to Anderson or Ranta. Probably a safe bet. Good roll of the dice. I like it. It's fantasy manager. I hate it. I hate yeah. it with all my heart. I wish they let Freddie go. I love Freddie, by the way. I'm a huge Freddie Anderson fan. Have been ever since he was on the Ducks. Um, I uh, I don't like it one bit. You know, maybe they, like, I don't think teams bank on players to get injured, but are they thinking that, like, Freddie and Ranta are just going to keep getting injured and Kochekov's just going to jump up again? Because Kochekov can't go up and go down. He's on a one-way. He's making $2 million per. I don't he, understand any of this. Is he still waiver exempt? Yes or no? No. Okay, then that makes a lot less sense to me. <laughs> I thought he was still going to be waiver exempt, but... No, he's got four years at $2 million per one-way deal. Yeah, so maybe it's... Yeah. yeah. What is no. this? That's a good question. Are you going to run three goalies on your roster? Is Ranta going to play in the minors? That's also possible. I I don't I don't understand any of it. I don't, it doesn't make any sense. Like, and then Carolina throwing more one-way salary cap money at goalies when everyone's expecting them to, I mean, yeah, they, they went and got other stuff. They went and paid other things. Like, I, I just, I don't, I don't get it one bit. It doesn't make any sense to me. Like, was this an insurance policy? Are they, are they thinking, do they, do they not have any confidence in Kochekov? I don't get it at all. Are they re- do they regret their signing? Uh, I I don't know. This whole goalie chunk of free agency has gone like I expected any of it to go, and I'm uh, I'm I'm lost. But as we've covered during the playoffs, I'm no longer capable of predicting anything. So, <laughs> um, next up, let's go. So Edmonton Oilers trade Clem Costin and Kyler Yamamoto to Detroit. The Red Wings. Did extend Costin two years, two per. They bought out Yamamoto. He ends up in Seattle. 
And part of the newfound Oilers cap space is used to side Connor Brown. If Connor Brown stays healthy, I think he's a very effective middle six forward. But what are the where are they going, James? The Oilers they need like is it too easy? Is it too low hanging fruit to say that the problem was defense and goaltending? Because it just seems like the problem was defense and goaltending. <laughs> I think the problem was the Vegas Golden Knights. Valid, no, well, for sure. But I mean, I I think looking at the looking at the playoffs, it is very very highly possible that the Oilers would have just won the cup if they beat Vegas. I don't disagree with that, but if you look at part of the reason they didn't beat Vegas, it's because Stuart Skinner could have had a beach ball get blown past him by Jonathan Marcheseau. Like it, it, it <laughs> so. Do you also think, though, that um, the Oilers are in a situation where no one really wants to help them when it comes to goaltending? No one's just going to take that Campbell money off them. No one's going to give them a goalie. No, you're right. I wonder if it's that situation from years ago um, uh, with... uh, I, I swear there was a situation a few years back where there was a player Tampa was looking to trade to get off their books. And it just seemed like this player should be gone already, but I feel like no one wants to help them. No one wants to give them a pass, you know? I don't remember who, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. It's definitely possible. Um, so speaking of contracts that uh I that didn't really make sense, Detroit, Justin Hall, three point four million dollars for three years. We saw Eric Goodbranson get a chunk of change from the Blue Jackets. Another, sorry, another defenseman to Columbus, by the way. But we saw Goodbranson get a big chunk from the Blue Jackets basically for being right-handed. And Justin Hall gets a similar chunk of change from the Red Wings. James, I think Justin Hall uh, on a Stanley Cup contending team should be their number seven. Uh, I know Detroit's not a Stanley Cup contender. But this still doesn't make any sense to me. He's 31 years old. He has shown in Toronto that he is average at best and pretty bad at worst. (laughs) Um, Mind you, again, Toronto, there's a lot of attention. So you see uh, a lot of positives out of some players that maybe make them a little bit overrated. And you see a lot of negatives out of some players maybe make them a little bit (laughs) overhated. Is Justin Hall one of those players? I think we'll see. Sidebar, what what is the Iser plan? That's a great question. Because this is this is opening a free agency. Um, Justin Hall, three years, ten point two. JT Comfer, five years, uh, twenty five point five. Shane Gossespierre, one year, four point one two five. Clint Costin, two years, four million. Uh, Gustav Lindstrom, one year extension. Alex Lyon, two years, uh, one point eight million. Uh, James Reimer, one year, one point five. Daniel Sprong, one year, two million. That's just one day. What is going on? What is the plan? I see the one-year deals. Oh, and he signed Christian Fisher to a one-year deal as well. Solid player. I just, I don't understand what the whole plan is here. I don't either. The one thing I will say is Eisenman's done a good job at, other than Confer, <laughs> not like locking into term here, right? Oh, what like, about last year with Andrew Kopp, who played terrible all year this year? Yeah, no, no, no. I'm strictly talking that group of players you just said. So, yeah, I, I. Nathan, this isn't even twelve calendar months, and he's handed those like like eighty million to to guys who are not his major impact players. 
Yeah, I I like the Sprong signing. If we want to draw a yeah, positive, the Sprong and Fisher ones are one year deals. Yeah, uh, yeah, James. I don't know. I don't know what the plan is. I I don't think James Reimer is a good NHLer. I don't think Daniel Sprong is a good NHLer. I I think Daniel Sprong is a good NHLer. Sorry, not Daniel Sprong. I have Justin Hall. Daniel Sprong. Hmm. Daniel Sprung scored 20 goals on Seattle's fourth line. I totally think he could be an effective middle six forward on a different team. Like, and then I, also JT Comfort, that's an insurance policy and an average cost for um, uh, all of the centers he's drafted not ever working out. Well, Dylan Larkin, Marco Casper, Nate Danielson. Like there's going to come a time where JT Comfort might be their fourth line center making $5.1 well, million. It, that, that's what I mean. He's the insurance policy of Casper and Danielson don't work out in the next five years. Yeah, but like, Come on, have some faith in yourself, right? Like, hey, hey, high yeah. high draft picks are not always a hit. But listen, Marco Casper and Nate Danielson. You can say a lot about those two prospects, but to me, I James thought Scott Glennie was a hit. What happened there? <laughs> to what I was gonna say, uh, they have very high floors. Maybe their ceilings aren't absurdly uh, crazy, but they got high floors, both of them. So uh, again, whatever. It, it's it's it's. I my knee jerk gut reaction is trust Steve Eiserman. Yeah, me too. It's weird. But I I'm so <laughs> lost. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, I totally. I want to trust in the force, but I can't hear. Um, um and we need to not talk about this Eiser plan for the rest of the summer because I I start getting unhinged when it happens because I'm I'm losing my marbles at it. It's like it's like someone put the trades on easy in franchise mode and then just decided, eh, no, we're not going to do any of that and just signed everyone. Walked into free agency and we're like, I don't know what we're doing and just did it. Okay, so there's we're going to go through a little chunk of defensemen here. And man, like, uh, it's very, like, all over the place with who got what money here. Like... Carson Soucy, I thought it was had... a very thin market before just as a precursor, very thin market for defensemen and uh and tax situations have a lot to do with a lot of these signings, from what I can tell. Okay, so Carson Soucy, to me, the way he played this season, probably could have been a four million dollar player. The 28-year-old signs a three-year contract with the Vancouver Canucks 3.25. That's an A plus for me. I love it. Three years isn't too high risk. The AAV is pretty low. This is a guy that can easily play on the second pairing with Philip Peronic for Vancouver. 10 out of 10 for me. Now, uh, do you have a quick word on that before we pivot? I don't know. You're a Canucks fan. I'll just say talk to me in eight months. Yeah, that's valid. Um, Radko. Actually, I should put in a word. I like Susie as a player. He was annoying in the series against the Kraken. Very annoying. He's uh, and he's a better skater than people give him credit for. Radko Gudis, twelve million bucks for a thirty-three-year-old defenseman. I honestly, James, I think this might be like a salary cap floor thing for the Ducks, maybe. But Gudis, I don't care what he did in the playoffs. Four million dollars is is like we're getting crazy. I don't know about you, like this. Th- this seems this seems verging on nuts to me. Um. So what I think is um, over the last chunk of time, he um, I think he was useful on the Capitals. He was useful on the Flyers. And he was definitely useful on the Panthers. I think realistically, he's probably a three, $3.5 million player. Anaheim is a bad team, has a poor tax situation, and they're trying to add players. And uh, it doesn't really seem all that easy right now because their direction is frightening. 
and uh, you got to pay a little bit extra. Uh, I think the math all checks out, honestly. Okay, now I will say that I think Connor Clifton is a way, way, way more useful defenseman than Radko Gudis. Clifton also... Okay, Clifton also gets a three-year contract. He's also right-handed. He is, uh, let's check, five years younger than Gudis in a similar um, tax market, if we're going to go there, in New York. $3.33 million, $10 million over three years to the Buffalo Sabres. Love it for Buffalo. This guy is perfect to play with either Owen Power or Rasmus Dahlin. Perfect. Match made in heaven. He would have been perfect to play with Quinn Hughes. This was the other guy I wanted Vancouver to get to, but I love it. Great for Buffalo. Wonderful. A plus. I like all of Buffalo's moves this offseason, and this follows that trend. Yeah. Uh, Carolina gives Dmitry Orlov $7.75 million for two years, 31 years old. If they had signed him to any longer than two years, I would have been like, not no, but two years is pretty low risk for almost $8 million. I don't think Orlov is worth that much. But if that's what it took to get him, the Hurricanes, he will be very useful to Carolina. Thin D market, and he's by far the best one available. And uh, and it seems that the teams who were pursuing him were not all that interested in the Noah Hannafins of the world who may be available in trade, i.e. Carolina did not want Noah Hannafin back. That's, that's kind of the vibe I get there. Um, yeah, I mean... I thought Orlov was going to get high sixes to maybe seven, but I also thought he was going to be like a five, six year deal. And so, you know, crank up the AAV on a contender for two years. This is the kind of deal that I want to see happen in hockey more because in free agency, you find that it's all one year deals or it's, or, or it's like five, six, seven years. And you really don't, it's not often you see a two year deal because sometimes you just think like, this team has a couple year window before they have to sign a couple important guys. I can't think of who they are off the top of my head, but they'll have a couple important contracts up in a couple years and two years perfectly suits them. And then they can reassess if that's something they want again after this doesn't happen enough in hockey. If you look back 20 years ago in free agency, this happened all the time. And it's something that's really been lacking. So it was really cool to see. I was a fan crank up the AAV on a contender for two years while they have cap room. I love it. Okay. So I'm going to pivot very quickly. We talked about defensemen. We're going to talk about a group of forwards, but first I want to talk about two teams. And listen, I know what you're going to say to me right now. I know you're going to say this is uh, the Ovechkin and Crosby factor. This is they're at the end of their, their careers and their teams want to do good by them or something like that. I don't get it with Pittsburgh. They are not winning the Stanley Cup with this group of players, period. They do not have enough prospects, period. They would be best served tanking, period. This team is not a playoff contender anymore. They are not going to win a playoff round, even if they get in. Ryan Graves is a good defenseman, but to sign him for six years on a team that is not going to make the playoffs, probably for the entirety of that contract, because they refuse to retool they refuse to rebuild anything nola chari getting three years at two million dollars uh lars eller useful player but again like i i 
I don't get it. And the Washington Capitals are the same way. Like, you are better off not. <laughs> and they signed Max Pacioretty to a value contract, sure. But both of these teams for me, James, I just, much like the Nashville Predators, it doesn't make sense to me. It does not make sense. I think they are sh- not only just shooting themselves in the foot, they are shooting the future versions of themselves in the foot every year, every season. It's going to be just more and more and more and more and more just nonsensical going for it when realistically this needs to this needs to stop, I think, for those two teams. I don't get it. I don't like it. Okay, so Washington, wholeheartedly agree. Uh, but with Washington, Pacioretty is going to get traded at the deadline. All he's going to do is really uh, help insulate some of their offensive players. Um, maybe Pacioretty plays with Evgeny Kuznetsov, and he helps gain him some value if he's healthy. Uh, that that could be a thing. Uh, and then also, like you have Rasmus Sandin breaking in on that team, and you want him to be able to run a successful power play on the back end in the future. That's uh, that that's something to be considered as well. Um, so yeah, I agree with you on Washington, but I understand their moves. Um, Pittsburgh, uh, I a hundred percent beg to differ. I'm a big fan of all their moves. And I think that that has got them back to being a playoff team. Riley Smith is a successful player who you want in your top six on a team that can win games. He's the kind of guy you want in the heat of the moment. He's a guy you want on your team when you're playing in overtime. Next, uh, Nolachari, I think is one of the best depth players in the league. Riley's or sorry, uh, Ryan Graves. Uh, you go that direction. I'm a huge Ryan Graves fan. Um, and 4.5 is a fair cap hit for him. And you talk about the length of the deal, the length of the deal is not going to matter later on. That's going to be getting to the cap floor at the last couple years of that deal. That like the, they can afford to do things long term like that because later on doesn't matter. Later on's when they're tanking, you cannot do right by Sidney Crosby, Chris Letang, and Evgeny Malkin, by not giving them the right pieces to play meaningful hockey as their careers wind down. Otherwise, you're just you're completely betraying what you've what you've the culture you've crafted over all this time. Lars Eller, third line center. Sounds good. James, this is where our attitudes differ, I think, just in principle. Because to me, you know who the second most successful NHL team was this season overall? It was not the Florida Panthers. It was the Chicago Blackhawks. And the second most successful team next year will be whoever drafts Macklin Celebrini. And the year after, the second most successful franchise will be whoever drafts Michael Misa. And the year after, the most successful franchise will be whoever drafts Gavin McKenna. That's number two on the list. So Okay, okay. so was uh, when Edmonton drafted Yakupov, were they the second most uh, successful team? And when they drafted Nuge? That year? When they drafted Hall, were they the second most successful team? No. Well, in retrospect, sure. But in the moment, what good is it for the Pittsburgh Penguins to make the playoffs? Look at that Metro division and tell me they're getting out of that at all. No. <laughs> no way. Possible. No. Possible. Sure, sure. But I, I, I can't get behind saying that they will beat in succession they will get through the New Jersey Devils and Carolina Hurricanes. And again, to me, if you are not a Stanley Cup contender, this doesn't make any sense. I think if you're doing right by Malkin and Crosby and Latang, it's put them on teams that they might win a Stanley Cup on. And I know they maybe don't want to do that, but 
again, I was a, I was a trade the Sedins guy, man. That's what I was. So I, I, to me, it's, it's, it's again, like we can, I, I, okay. we can, okay, let's we the can hold on, really quick, really quick. We can, and I did criticize the Vegas Golden Knights for how they treated some of their players, but you know what? I'm not anymore. They won the Stanley cup. They did it. They did the only thing that matters. So whatever. Fenway sports group isn't long off from purchasing the Pittsburgh Penguins for a ton of money. They want playoff games. Yes, <laughs> comma, but that's to me a flawed priority list. The priority and list. That's why be... we're not billionaires. Yeah, that's valid. That's well. That's why nobody's ever going to put me in charge of an NHL team, <laughs> um, especially one in a position like this. Uh, moving on to some forwards. Hold on, hold up. Sidebar, Aiden. Is that our most common debate? Oh, by far. We're... Probably our I, most common no, debate. It's, it's not even close because I, I'm not going to say common. That's the most common debate. I'm going to say the most common, like differentiating opinion we have is my attitude of if you're not winning the Stanley cup, you are best served doing anything in your power to get there. And if, if your moves are only to get you to a certain plateau and will never make you a Stanley cup winner, I don't think they're worth doing. And you have the attitude of selling those playoff tickets, even if it's only going to be for a round or two. It's also more retaining fans. Yeah. And again, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I I've lived in two Canadian cities where at the end of the day, you know, doesn't matter what the Canucks do. And maybe that arena isn't full all the time. They don't care. Right. The the Canucks fans are going to exist. We'll go as far as saying that most Canucks fans are some of the most depressed sports fans I've ever met, depressed and toxic. And maybe if they just made the playoffs three or four years in a row, this, they, I think 25% of them would just be like, oh, well, that was fun. (laughs) Maybe. Uh, Matt Duchesne gets bought out. We touched on that. Dallas gets a very useful centerman for 3 million bucks for one year. Low risk, high reward. I like it. What do you think? I think he's going to come in with something to prove. Yeah, me too. I well, think he really won. is. He has a lot of game left in him. And I think he's going to end up cashing out at like a five-year cap hit next year. He's one year removed from a 43-goal, 86-point season. I just want to point that out. <laughs> and he yeah. hasn't lost an edge. He's still one of the better skaters in the NHL. So speaking of long-term low AAV for a depth player, Colorado signs Miles Wood six years, total of $15 million paid in a $2.5 million per year setup. I like Miles Wood. Uh, again, this has this is such a non Joe Sackick and Chris McFarland move. I know it's strange. <laughs> um, I think they wanted some stability for one. Now that they have most of their long-term contracts all settled. Like once the McKinnon deal was done, it was like, okay, maybe we can actually move some stuff around now. But aside from that, um, useful depth player that plays a high tempo game. The term can be frightening if he doesn't work out, but then if he does work out, then it's nice stability. So I'm optimistic there. He's also a really good looking guy. Saw a picture of Miles Wood. Really good looking guy. Like that's you know that's uh that's something you can't discount. <laughs> but um, yeah, he uh. I actually really like watching him skate too. He has an interesting skating style. You ever watch Miles Wood go in on the forecheck on his own? Just look at that. It's it's really interesting. 
It's like he's almost got a little bit of a gallop going on. But I think uh, if I mean, I, I I hope for no injuries, but I think if, if there's injuries, he's got 20 goal potential. If not, um, I hope he can uh, just slot in in that rolling all four lines. Everyone just going really hard on the four check and being good on the cycle style of game. Okay, so we talked about Gudis. $4 million till 2026. So Alex Kalorn, like, I know he had a good year. <laughs> I know he's a very useful player, but he's 33 years old, and he just got a four-year contract paying him $6.25 million annually. The Anaheim Ducks, who is the team that signed Alex Kalorn, have Troy Terry, Trevor Zegris, and Jamie Drysdale as RFAs this year. I I don't know, man. They have Mason McTavish coming up in 2026 that will be an RFA. We will see when Leo Carlson's entry-level contract ends up getting inked. I would guess he plays in Sweden next year, so it might not be a problem. But they have Pavel, uh, sorry, Pavel Mindyukov on an ELC that he's signed. So 2027, he's up. Olin Zellweger, likewise. Tyson Hins, likewise. <laughs> but all three of those players have their ELCs that will expire in 2027. So for me, James, I think then the like short term kind of two, like the Dmitry Orlov style contracts make sense for the ducks because it gives those young players, somebody to play with in the meantime, but as that team kind of gets built up, but they've also got Ryan Strom at 5 million bucks till 2027. Like I, I don't, I don't think I get it <laughs> personally. Uh, I don't think I get it. What, what do you think? This is one where I want you to look at it from a hockey purist perspective. And uh, remember the fact that these Ducks owners are down to spend. They don't mind being close to the cap ceiling if they have a bad team. They don't care about that. Um, all right. So from a hockey purist perspective, Alex Kalorn was a massive part of that winning culture in Tampa Bay. He was um he was a major part of their locker room. I won't call him the heart and soul because that's Steven Stamkos, but he was a major, major piece there. Even when he wouldn't be having his best seasons, he was a guy they had to have around. And I think if you were to sign him to one or two years in Anaheim, it gives you the idea that, oh, they're just bringing him in for a quick stint to show us. No, he is a part of this plan, a part of teaching them, teaching these young guys what needs to be done how you need to act, how you need to treat your body, how you need to treat competitiveness, how you need to approach game days, how you need to approach life. This is a guy you need to have around. Yeah, you know what? It's a lot of money. He wasn't going to take it if if it wasn't a lot of money. It's a not good caps, uh, I mean, tax situation. Uh, it's, But it is a nice place to live. It's not a great team. So yeah, you know what? I guarantee there were other teams out there offering him two, three years at $5 million. Guarantee. Great season. Perfect season to get paid. But, you know, maybe this tax situation would have been better. Anaheim had to pay up for him to go there. And they saw what they wanted to do. Pat Verbeek is a big culture guy. And this is a very Pat Verbeek signing to be like, all right, we are not going to win a cup in this next four years. And yeah, maybe in the last year, we might be up against it once some of our younger guys are getting paid. But this is something we need to do to instill culture moving forward. And I honestly say, expect two or three more of these moves over the next couple of years. Maybe not to the same cap hit, but really big character guys coming in. 
Okay. No, I know what you mean. Um, for, for me, like it, my attitude towards it is kind of whatever provided the, like the Zegris, the McTavish, the Drysdale, the Carlson, the Zellweger, like provided their prospects as contract extensions aren't negatively impacted by the cap space being taken up by corn. It's, it, it's to me, it's, it's, it's a kind of low, like low risk. Yeah. So it's no biggie. It just, yeah. Um, speaking of teams where I don't know if I understand the direction, I think these playoffs should have been assigned to the New York Islanders that maybe they should shake up the roster a little bit. I don't know if you feel the same way. Um, what they did was sign three very long contracts. One of them makes a ton of sense. I think Elias Sorokin, if you gave me a heart ballot, James, Elias Sorokin's name would have popped up probably in the top five for me personally this year. $8.25 million for eight years for the 27-year-old. I think that's value. I think that's worth it. I think he's one of the best goalies in the league. I like it. Now, <laughs> two players are going to get seven-year contracts. We talked about depth players getting long-term deals this summer. Scott Mayfield, who's a very useful defenseman, is 30 years old, which means he's going to be paid $3.5 million until he's 37 by the New York Islanders or wherever the Islanders move his contract to next. And 27-year-old Pierre Engvall also gets seven years, $3 million per from the New York Islanders. I don't even know what to think, honestly, man. Like, I, 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 it, obviously the, the, the term is what jumps off the page at you here. I don't dislike either Engvall or Mayfield. Again, it just seems to me like if you're the New York Islanders, I'm not saying they should tank. Like, I'm not saying they should give up on this core. I'm saying this core, I think, has been proved to them in these playoffs with how much they weren't even in that series with the Islanders, that it just kind of, or sorry, with the, with the Hurricanes, that it's just not good enough. So if we're sitting here and we're like, okay, the Islanders aren't good enough, my question that I will have to pose here is why are we doubling down on some of these players that were part of this group that is not good enough? Now they got rid of Josh Bailey. Uh, they brought in Bo Horvat during last season. This will be Horvat's first full season with the Islanders, so we'll see how that goes. They obviously still have Matt Barzell, but I think, again, you look at, 3.5 of Mayfield plus three of Engvall. I think $6.5 million in AAV could have been better utilized elsewhere. That's my thinking. And let alone for seven years. <laughs> A few points. Um, getting rid of Josh Bailey was a foregone conclusion. Guy had a great career as an Islander. It was time to go. I remember articles right before... Uh, I mean, when when the Islanders were done playing hockey for the summer, that um, Lou Lamorello was saying he was going to find a good home for he was going to work with Josh basically. And Josh Bailey was a character guy for that Islanders team. He had some really good seasons going back like ten years ago, and uh, uh, I think Islanders fans are always going to remember that guy in a good chunk of time. And would have been nicer if he could go out on top in some way, shape, or form. But uh, can't discount the amount of games that guy put in with an Islanders jersey on. So I'd like to give him props for that. That's pretty cool. But in terms of the seven-year deals, I just want to know how much autonomy people other than Lou Lamorello have in that office because there's no way Lou Lamorello is still GM of the New York Islanders in seven years. 
Yeah. No, I know what you mean. Does the AGM have any say? Or is this purely a Lou thing? That's a great question. Because this was done in very Lou fashion, where he negotiates all the deals. Most of these have probably been done for months, and he just announces them all at once. That's how he does his business. And, yeah, I have no idea. Um, Personally, I think the league is too good for the Islanders. Other teams are getting better and better. Yeah, adding Bo Horvat was nice. That was a really solid addition, and it's yet to be seen what this will do this year, win a full season. But I really like their defense. Big fan of Dobson, Pollock. Like, it's... it's uh, Mayfield's a good player. Like, they, they have good pieces. I just... I think they need so much more. I really want, like... I really want like a pure sniper winger on that team. That would be so nice. You just give me like a 30 to 40 goal scoring winger on that team. I really think that they could do some damage. Um, They have a lot of faith in their ability to keep rolling four lines still working. And you know what? It's yet to be seen. Prove me wrong. They've proved me wrong a lot of times before. I don't think any of us predicted they would go to the third round against Tampa two years in a row. That was also a very different team. Here's another thing I'll say about the New York Islanders. Um, They haven't drafted well enough to keep trading away their picks and prospects, I think is a good way to put this. They haven't had a first rounder since 2019. That was the year they took Simon Holmstrom 23rd overall. He's played... Most of one season with the Islanders had six goals and nine points. Uh, doesn't look like uh, he that was doesn't look like that pick's going to turn out to be super good. <laughs> um, now the year before they had two. One of them has turned out awesome. One of them has not. They had eleventh and twelfth in twenty eighteen. I love, 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 love Noah Dobson. He's one of my favorite defensemen in the NHL. He's one of my favorite players in the NHL. I have a Dobson jersey about five meters away from me right now, sitting in my room here at my parents' house. Um, However, the other one at 11 was Oliver Wallstrom, another forward that does not look like he's going to hit the potential that he looked like he could have. Obviously, time, because these are still young players. But since then, they have not picked anybody in the first round. In fact, since 2019... Only their 2020 fifth rounder, William Dufour, has played any games for them, and he's played one. Um, Atu Ratu, who a lot of people looked at as a steal in 2021, played 12 games for them, but then they traded him to Vancouver as part of the Horvat trade. Uh, they also traded their first round pick, which turned into, eventually, uh, after Vancouver traded it to the Detroit Red Wings, Axel Sandin Pelica. If you look at this Islanders team, Brock Nelson's in his 30s. Anders Lee is in his 30s. John Gabriel Pajot's in his 30s. Matt Barzell, 26. Not bad. But Bo Horvat's turning 28 this year. Like, I'm I'm looking up and down this team, James, and I'm thinking, I, I, I don't know. And then the other thing I was going to touch on, too, with the Islanders is, like, I love the Sorokin contract, but did you see what the Varlamov, did Varlamov sign? I think he did. Did he not? I want to say it was four years. Yeah, that, um, yeah, it was. So he's making 2.75 till 26, 27. He's 35. I, that was, that might've been the most puzzling one to me. 
And again, like I, I look at Pittsburgh and Washington and Nashville, and I think it should have been time to rebuild. I don't know if I'm looking at the Islanders and saying rebuild, but I'm definitely looking at the Islanders and I'm saying, what the hell is going on? <laughs> like, what's the plan here? Like, what are we trying to do? Because I don't think they're good enough to compete in this Eastern conference, but I also don't think they're, I don't think they're bad enough to tank. And I, I just don't see a direction. And I just love kind of somebody to tell me, somebody to enlighten me on what this, like, what this all means i guess like aiden i think there's some things in life that we're not supposed to know <laughs> yeah that's fair and a, and most of those things are in lou lamarello's head so here we are i guess um really quick i think bowen byram did the colorado avalanche a favor <laughs> i think he did them a huge favor because uh even on a bridge deal 3.85 million bucks is low for what he's done in the last couple seasons he is well on his way to being a top pairing defenseman uh, Colorado needed him to take a little bit of a pay cut to stay with the Avs and compete, and he did just that. Uh, I like the player, value for the Avs, and I always like it when a player, you know, Joe Sackick's been good to him, and he's been now, this is returning the favor. Okay, so the way I see it is that, yes, he did do them a favor, but there's one thing that should be considered. Until he plays a full year, I don't think they were unloading the Brink truck, Brink's truck on him on a massive multi-year deal. I think maybe if he had played full seasons to this point, even one, I think we would be telling a different story right now. And then on top of that, that um, he's also going to be getting paid for his role. Devon Taves munches a ton of minutes on that left side. Sam Girard is still a very useful player on that team. So, Yes, while Bowen Byram is continuing to develop and continuing to become a better and better player, I love watching it unfold before my eyes. He is always going, like he's going to be in a sheltered role until Devon Taves is not a member of the Colorado Avalanche. That is a fact. So I uh, I like the deal for the player. I like the deal for the team. It's definitely awesome as a fan. Um. I'm curious to see what happens on his next deal. I hope he plays 160 games before that, between then and now. At least. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 160 out of 164 sounds good. Well, playoffs too, I guess, but yeah. Okay, no. yeah, yeah, um, true. Regular season games. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, yeah, for Colorado, it's it's good. Um, Michael Bunting to the Hurricanes, 4.5, maybe a bit steep for him, but that's kind of one of those things where you just kind of have to overpay a guy in free agency from time to time. And I think this is one of those times. Uh, I don't mind the player though, especially for the, uh, for the hurricanes who I thought their biggest problem, <laughs> I thought going into the season, their biggest problem was going to be goal scoring. And then when Svechnikov and Pacioretty both got hurt and didn't play in the playoffs, it got even worse. So bunting just adds forward depth. And I think that's what the hurricanes needed and they've addressed it. Is Svechnikov supposed to be ready for the start of the season? I looked around and I didn't see much. I don't know. That's a good question. I think regardless, you're right. Um, I think in terms of a scoring forward who can play well defensively, and I, I really think Bunting suits Carolina's style of play. Yeah, me like, too. He, he's very much a hurricane. Um, but yeah, I think um I think for a player around that age who can fill all of those roles, I don't really think there was anyone else in free agency. I think he was their guy. I look around at the other options. None of them really jump off the page at me as being 
de facto Hurricanes. All right, Avs fan. JT Confer, five years, just over five million bucks. Can I do I my know. goodbyes all in one? Pardon me? Can I do my goodbyes all in one go? Yeah. Okay. JT Confer was acquired in the Ryan O'Reilly trade to Buffalo. He was acquired by the Avalanche alongside Mikhail Grigorenko and Nikita Zadorov, who were both very high draft picks. Confer, early pick, second rounder, I believe. Yeah. Early second round, I believe. 35. Yep. And uh, he was a nice sweetener. Colorado got a draft pick in that deal, too. Picked Adrian Greer with it, I believe. But Jeremy yeah. Waugh was. Oh, really? But the pick turned into Jeremy Waugh. Oh, they, they, they swapped They, they, they like, swapped yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. So, but, like, they moved back with San Jose that year. So, they not only got Greer, they got another second rounder that turned into Cameron Morrison. Um, mm-hmm. San Jose moved up to draft Jeremy Waugh. So, it even turned into more is what I'm saying. It was Greer and Morrison, basically, as the picks that came out of that. But, yeah, so JT Comfort slowly ended up being the best player that Colorado got in that deal. That guy worked his bag off. And just grinded into uh, in in role player situations until he could he could contribute offensively, and he would get to the point where they would slot him in on the power play if Kadri was out or or if they needed someone at center. And I was so confident every time. And then he would go on the second unit in that playoff run, and and he would fill McKinnon's role as the as the the rover. He would just like grab the puck and bowl through, and. The guy just worked so hard. He was so he was just such a warrior defensively. Um, he's gonna be missed so much. I'm so happy that he got paid. I'm glad that he got paid after the season he just had because a lot of the time the numbers didn't speak uh the volumes for what JT Comfort did. Like he wasn't he wasn't the guy piling up points all the time. He was he was doing everything else and he would chip in here and there, but oh, this is the tough one though. Eric Johnson. Longest serving member of the Colorado Avalanche. When he was traded to Colorado in 2011 for Kevin Shattenkirk and Chris Stewart. It was a big deal. He was uh, several years removed from being a first overall pick. He didn't want to get traded to Colorado. When he got the news, he didn't want to go. And then, according to him in his own words, I'm paraphrasing here, but he... uh, he said where he like he became he grew up he became to be a man he fell in love with the, with the sport fell in love with life like he just I loved Eric Johnson affectionately known affectionately known uh to Avalanche fans as the Condor that guy was awesome yeah you know what he wasn't a true first overall pick in terms of talent wise but you look at the games played the impact on the locker room the impact on a franchise Eric Johnson was a player. And I am so happy for Buffalo Sabres fans that they're getting a character guy like that. Because if you watch any of the interviews after Colorado won the cup, there was a reason it was packed past to Eric Johnson first. Eric Johnson is a guy you want on your team. A guy you want on your team to teach young guys to be successful, to, to work hard, munch minutes, and set an example. And he's going to be damn missed in Colorado. I... uh Honestly, like there's debate online about whether or not he should have his jersey retired in Colorado. 12 seasons, Stanley Cup. 
I think he's probably top five in minutes among all Avalanche defensemen ever. Probably top three at this point. Like, I, I'd love to check, but, like, I just... It, he was such an integral part of that team for such a long time. And you speak to, like, Colorado was really bad. And he was a player they could have shipped out. And I don't doubt that they asked him if he wanted out. I don't doubt it. I don't have any supporting evidence to say they did, but I don't doubt that they asked him at points, maybe in 2017, 2018, 2019. It was getting rough. Well, not 2019, but yeah, 2017, 2018. It, it could have been a thing. And I'm, I'm so glad he stuck around, man. I, uh, I'm so glad he got that cup. And I will never, ever, ever forget the photo of uh, what he woke up with the morning after he won the cup. It's just him rolling out of bed and he's 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 cuddling the Stanley Cup. And that's just awesome. That picture is going to be timeless for me. And speech to the Avalanche fans at the parade. Man, I love that guy. Colorado loved that guy. And um, all the best to him going forward. Yeah. And speaking of, he signs with the Buffalo Sabres and Buffalo... Um, Man, again, Darlene Johnson and then Power Clifton. That's good. <laughs> and Eric Johnson's going to be able to, you know, like we talk about the impact he had on that room in Colorado. He's going to have, he's going to wear a letter in Buffalo. You're forgetting about uh, Matthias Samuelson. Johnson probably plays third pair. Is Samuelson a right or a left shot? Righty. Okay. So then. Well, you have Yokoharu as well, so you do have four right shot defensemen. I thought Samuelson was a left shot, just and then I, in my head, it was Samuelson uh, Yokoharu to close out a very strong top six, um, which still could possibly be a pair. I don't know about uh, those righties playing left side, but um, yeah. So heartfelt, obviously, from from James on the way out there, and yeah, like Comfer, Comfer grew into one of the you know, <laughs> Comfer grew into a a prospect out of the University of Michigan to a very, very useful bottom six forward to a very, very useful middle six forward. And all of a sudden I think we're looking now and it's, it's this guy's a, this guy's a top six forward and the Detroit Red Wings are paying him as such. Again, Detroit, we'll see what ends up happening here with Steve Eiserman's master plan. We talked about that already. Um, I just yeah. have to say in the right situation, uh, given all the opportunity, if he's on a first power play unit, I think JT Confer could put up 65 points. I think he no. could do it. I can see that too. John Klingberg, one year, $4.15 million with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. Uh, I don't think this is what Toronto needed personally. Uh, he didn't have a bad year. Definitely didn't have a great year last year, splitting his time between Anaheim and Minnesota. He's 30 years old. He hasn't really been this like, 2018 to 2020, John Klingberg is gone. His defensive prowess has not been as good. He is no longer as good as he used to be on either side of the puck. I don't mind him. I just, again, like, is this what the Leafs needed? Now, we'll move on to a couple more Toronto signings after because they do address a couple of holes up front. That and I like a couple of their deals with Bertuzzi and Domi. We'll get there, but I don't know about Klingberg. I uh, I'm gonna go ahead and say this 
$4 million could have better could have been better invested elsewhere, including, by the way, I'll just also say right now that reportedly uh, Austin Matthews is going to sign, but William Nylander and tr- the Toronto Maple Leafs are about $2 million apart. Nylander wants over 10. Toronto doesn't want to give him, Toronto's hovering around eight for Nylander. So you look at this 4.15 and I, I totally like, you know, like I, I get that Nylander's contract will be more than this season, but I'm thinking if cap space for next year is a problem, which it probably is, and you need to sign Nylander and you need to like, I don't know, uh, James, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I keep circling around the fact that I just don't get it. <laughs> I think on the John Klingberg thing, I really hope Leafs fans are nice to him. And I really hope he can unlock that offensive side of his game. It'd be nice to see Um, if he can, if he can flush on that power play, that'd be really cool to see him revive his game because this is a guy who turned down a lot of money in Dallas at one point and he could have a lot more money right now set up his family generations deep and you know what yeah sure he's making four million dollars right now yeah the tax situation isn't great but didn't he turn down like a lot of money like 40 something million it was a long-term deal with a not as high aav as he wanted i think was the problem yeah um Uh, i just i hope he can find his game again yeah um and you know maybe if Maybe maybe he pairs well with Morgan Riley and he's an unreal breakout guy and he runs the power play. It's possible. It could happen. Um, yeah, p- some people online have been very critical, saying there there could have been more affordable options. Um, you know, when paired with their other moves and getting uh, Tyler Bertuzzi and Max Domi, I actually really like it. When I think about it in, in a big picture, when I look at their at their starting lineup. I, I don't mind it. I look at that and I'm like, this this is looking pretty solid. But yeah, you know, there there are some concerns there about whether or not he can rediscover his game. And I, I hope damn well that he can find it. So we'll, I want to do three more free agents. And then we had two questions submitted. Sorry, three more free agents. A really quick word on another Anaheim Ducks thing. And then we'll answer the questions. So that'll be the rest of this podcast. And I do want to touch on Bertuzzi and Domi as, the, as two of those three. Um, I like both of them. I like the fact that they're one-year deals because again, there's the Matthews, there's the Nylander, there's money that we have to consider. But I think for next year, Tyler Bertuzzi and Max Domi have the potential to help Toronto on one of their deepest playoff runs yet. James, I'm going to say right now, I think these next two years for the Toronto Maple Leafs are massive, massive seasons. I actually, again, I think within the next two to three years, and I, I'm I'm saying two seasons because I think by like three years from now, Buffalo and Ottawa have caught up to Toronto and Montreal is going to be right in that rearview mirror. Okay. So the Leafs have a very short window where they're better than Boston, personally. They're better than Tampa and they're better than Florida. And until they get surpassed by Buffalo and Ottawa, this is the best chance they have. So I like adding Bertuzzi. I like adding Domi. I love Domi as a player. I think he's just a great, great person, great player. Um, and they'll help the Leafs. I, I really like both of them. And again, with Bertuzzi, you're getting him off of your rivals, Boston, which can't be understated in that value. I also really like that because they have to re-sign their top guys uh, or or lose them or trade them for assets, whatever. But if you want to re-sign these top guys, you have to show them that you're committed to winning. 
using that cap space as best you possibly can on some great forwards to bolster their lineup. I love that they signed those two. That is awesome. If if I'm Austin Matthews, I'm looking at that. I'm going, so one of these guys is going to be my winger. I like that. I like that a lot. Okay, so the last guy I want to touch on, and this is this is like a feel good for me, okay? Because Evan Rodriguez, like, there was a time where I thought in my head I was like, Erod. This guy needs to fire his agent. That was my thought. <laughs> um, because there was a couple years in a row there where he just kept signing one year contracts, like one year with the Sabres for 1920 at two million dollars. He had a solid year, nothing special. The next year with Pittsburgh, one year, two million dollars. And I um sorry, no, next year with Pittsburgh was one year seven hundred thousand. And that year he played way better than the seven hundred thousand dollar ticket. And I thought in the offseason that year he was going to get a serious pay bump. He didn't. He only got one by one. Then he put out 43 points in 82 games. And I thought, that's it. Now he's going to get the long-term deal. Now he's going to get the big chunk of change. 43 points in 82 games on that 21-22 Penguins team. And then he didn't. He's one year, $2 million. That's four consecutive years of a one-year contract for Evan Rodriguez. And this is a player, I to me, I always thought like, this is a very useful third line center. And that's, uh, he's a great third line center. And then finally, after 39 points in 69 games, he gets a long-term deal. He gets four years at $3 million from the Florida Panthers. I just like, I just felt bad for this guy because he kept turning out good season after good season after good season. And it kept being like, okay, he's going to get a three or four con three or four year contract this year. He's going to get a three or four year contract this year. He's going to get the pay bump this year or this year or this year. And then it just kept not happening over and over and over and over again. And finally he gets some security in a place where he's going to keep a lot of that money because of the tax situation on a team that just went to the Stanley cup final. And I like down the middle Barkov Lundell Rodriguez is a good one, two, three to me for the next few years for Florida. I like it for the player. I like it for the team. Um, Claps all around. Good job. Evan Rodriguez, really well-liked guy the last couple teams he played for. No doubt he's going to love it in Florida, and his teammates are going to love him as well. Enough said. Glad he got paid, and glad he got some term. Um, uh, news out of today, and today being today for me and James, if you're listening to this uh, on day one, it's Tuesday, July 4th. Happy July 4th day to uh, whatever American listeners we have. Um, John Gibson has told the Anaheim Ducks that he's uh, he's going to Patrick Waugh them and not play for them anymore, <laughs> reportedly. So Anaheim has to move Gibson this summer. To me, John Gibson is a goaltender that has had, to me, the potential to be one of the best in the league and has not consistently lived up to that. But this is another guy being thrown onto the goaltending um, market here on the trade block because... Gibson and Hellebuck are both going to move. Those are two very, very, very sought after assets. And there are some teams like the New Jersey Devils who might just be one stud goalie away from being a cup winner. What do the LA Kings have in that? One of the two. <laughs> Gibson is not getting traded to the Kings. There is no way, but Hellebuck might. So, and we just saw them make a trade with Winnipeg. So we'll see. There's no way that Anaheim trades John Gibson to LA. I refuse to believe that would that's even in the realm of possible reality. <laughs> and we just have to say, like, this is sourced by Frank Saravalli, who knows everything. So Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Like that guy, that guy's in those top three hockey insiders. Who's it's like, he is in every room. He's yeah. He's, he's Sauron's eye in Lord of the Rings. Like he's (laughs) everywhere. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So James, you want to just go into questions? Then we can wrap up. We've already been kind of yammering for like an hour and 45 minutes here. Let's do it. Okay. So we got two for you guys. Both came in through the Spotify. Um, This is really funny. James and I, um, so I am logged into a bunch of Instagram accounts because it's my personal. It's uh the two for the Blackfalls Bulldogs. It's the main one and then the foundation one. And then it's our podcast one. So I got four going. Um, we changed the Instagram password on one of our Bulldogs accounts. And then it kicked me out of everything. Don't ask me why, but like all four of my Instagram accounts now were logged out of on Instagram. It just had a, a nightmare. So I had to log into all of them. And then I... Me and James need to reset the password for a podcast one. And uh, we didn't do it in time to post the story for you guys to submit more questions. So sorry, we'll do that before the next episode gets reported. So we're just going to go with the two from Spotify. Uh, I'll start with grade your teams as drafts, James, Vancouver and Colorado, respectively. Uh, I'll give you the floor to grade the Colorado Avalanche. Colorado Avalanche's draft this year. What do you think? Okay, so looking at how they they attacked this draft this year, acquiring those draft picks for Alex Newhook, the, that was a, a big boon for them. Um, most, including myself, did not think that they were going to pick twice in the first round, even with the picks. I didn't think they were actually going to go for it. I, I thought that, you know, just like at least one of those has to be on the move. For a Colorado Avalanche team, just to, trying to acquire more talent, trying to get guys to fit in the roster, get, make a little more success, maybe uh, – a guy to retain salary, lower cap hit, but they had already acquired Ryan Johansson, and then they used their second round pick to uh, to go get Ross Colton. So you know they they decide to keep the first round picks instead, and I have to say I love what they did. Twenty uh, seventh overall, Callum Ritchie. That guy was a projected top ten pick before he had some injuries, and you know it's a little bit of a gamble on health, and you hope for the best, but. This is a very, very talented player. Uh, a guy who projects as a, a top six forward with a lot of uh, a lot of extra tools to his game, from what I can tell. Um, now, uh, this one has a, a, a pick thirty one uh, has some people torn. Uh, Mikhail Gulyayev, uh, I like it. Swing for the fences, take risks. We already have a lot of guys who play D very well. Let's have some fun with it. Let's let's look at a guy who might have some ridiculous offensive ability and uh, a lot of tools to his game that can really complement Colorado's style of play. Um, yeah, you know what? If he doesn't work out as a as an offensive defenseman in the NHL, he might not work out at all. I don't see this guy being a very good depth guy. But you know what? If it works out, awesome. And it's the kind of thing where the timeline for him to come over would probably be a few years down the road. And you look at that, and a few years down the road, uh, Colorado may have reassessed Sam Girard. Devon Taves will be coming to the end of his deal. Uh, you wonder if the, if that changes anything, if the, if that timeline is how that works out. So that one's interesting. I uh, and then to be honest, I'm not familiar with their fifth, sixth, or or seventh rounder. So I am going to skip those completely because I choose not to talk about things that I'm uneducated about. I'm sure they're great guys. <laughs> had a boy, James. Okay. No, I like it. Mikhail Guliaev, yeah, why not, right? Like, he has a ton of upside. He has a ton of potential to be an offensive defenseman. The Colorado Avalanche are going to need to teach him how to play D. <laughs> that's, all I, that's all I'll say. Uh, for the Vancouver Canucks, I'll oh, start with actually, their... one more thing to note before you hop in. Um, of those three picks after, 
Two of them are defensemen who look like big, like reclamation long-term projects. So I think they're just trying to load up on D prospects after trading away Justin Barrett and Drew Hellison. Okay. Like it. Um, we're at about an hour 52 on my clock here. I'm going to try, I want to keep this under two hours. So I'm going to try and go through this quickly. Sorry if I'm talking too fast. Um, so Vancouver Canucks, one, two, three, four, five, six picks in this draft. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven picks in this draft, I should say, because it's seven. Uh, first of all, Tom Wielander gets picked 11th overall by the Vancouver Canucks. I don't mind him as a player. I don't like the idea of taking a draft pick because of a positional need. Again, how many times has this not worked? Oliu Levy, Matthew Kachuk comes to mind first as a Canucks fan. But think about 2018. Yes, Barry Kokaniemi was picked third overall because he was a center. Left on the board, Brady Kachuk, Quinn Hughes, Noah Dobson. Uh, similar draft, Hughes and Dobson went after fifth overall pick Barrett Hayton because Hayton was a center. That's three examples that I'm going to rattle off. One, two, three. Um, Zach Benson, to me, is has the potential to be like one of the five best players in this draft. I love him. At 11, that should not, it should have been a no-brainer. It shouldn't have even have been a debate for Vancouver to take Benson at 11. No way. Like, uh, so nothing wrong with V-Lander. It's just, A, there were better players available, and B, I'm just so sick and tired of the concept of drafting not the best player available. It doesn't work. <laughs> it does not work. Stop doing it, please, everybody that wants to have any sort of relative success. Vancouver's second pick, I'm very happy with. I'm going to completely butcher the pronunciation of his name. Hunter um, <laughs> Brustowitz, I think. That's what we're going to go with. Anyways, this guy's a right shot defenseman under the Kitchener Rangers. Uh, American kid, 57 points in 68 games. I think he has I think he has uh, top six upside for sure. He could be a real player here. Um, Sawyer uh, Minio, I think. Uh, his transition and his rush play is his best quality. But other than that, he doesn't really do anything else very well. He's a Kamloops kid played on a stacked Seattle Thunderbirds team, which probably helped him as far as like just playing, right? <laughs> of course, it's going to help when you're on a team that nobody could touch. Um, next pick 105 Ty Mueller. I don't mind him as a player. This guy's 20 years old, right? So this is his third kick of the can in the draft. I think 105 was kind of a bit high for him, but they didn't have a whole lot of like sixth and seventh rounders. They had four in the fourth round. He's a pretty, he's pretty average or above average at everything. So again, like this is a guy playing currently at the university of Nebraska, Omaha and the NCAA had a good season. Um, this is one of those things where, you know, you could sign a college free agent after they're done, but this is how you protect his rights. So Vancouver, like the player, I don't hate the pick. Um, Vilmer Ulrichson was picked 107 by Vancouver. There is very one obvious allure to this guy. He's six foot six. Uh, you're drafting this guy's frame and you're hoping you can develop him in the AHL system. Aside from that, he's very raw. Like, again, he there's, there's a lot of things that need to be refined in his game. Um, if he was five foot 11, you would never hear of him. He wouldn't have got picked. <laughs> That's what I'll say. Um, Matthew Perkins was picked 119. That was their last fourth rounder. Uh, played with Youngstown in the USHL, 44 points in 60 games. This is a guy that if he's going to be anything professionally, he needs, needs, needs to uh, significantly improve his skating. He's a pretty defensively sound centerman, but skating needs to pick up. 
And lastly, I had a funny feeling Vancouver was going to take defenseman Aiden Celebrini out of the Brooks Bandits. If you recognize the name Celebrini, that is Macklin Celebrini's older brother. Um, Aiden Celebrini, 2004 born defenseman. Yeah, Brooks. So I watched this guy play like eight games this year because we played Brooks uh, six times the regular season with Blackfolds and then we played them in a playoff series. So I watched a lot of this guy play. Uh, he's solid at everything. I saw a lot of Canucks scouts at these Bulldogs bandits games. That's why I kind of had that, that twinge of a feeling that he might get picked there. Um, he doesn't do anything like really, really well. He's probably better to be uh, like touted as a defensive defenseman, not really offensively gifted, but he's smart. Um, he's going to Boston university. So that's a very, very solid school for him to go to as a sixth rounder. So I'll, I'll see what he does at BU. I'll see what he does at BU. Uh, I won't, I won't judge him yet as a sixth round pick from Vancouver, low risk. You know, it's it, it, at best. He'll, he'll be a, a strong AHL guy or one of those six, seven kind of guys. So that's Vancouver's uh, um, hall. Overall, I'd give it a B plus B um more so than anything else because i would have liked a second rounder right like andrew crystal gavin brindley right like there and more like let's go through some of the second rounders here gavin brindley andrew crystal grayson sashin riley height and then william whitelaw and jaden perron go after the second round in the third so the reason that maybe that grade isn't higher because i do like some of their picks i really like their third rounder uh, uh their 75th pick uh but Overall, I think they left too much talent on the board, both because they traded some draft capital away and because they maybe didn't take best player available at 11. <laughs> uh, so the last question, if you had to change one sporting event outcome, what would you change? And that's like all time in retrospect, if you had the power to change something that happened to the different result, what do you think, James? I would have wanted San Jose to win the cup against Pittsburgh so that Joe Thornton could have a cup. It's not a bad answer. Um, I guess I kind of have two here. And like the way you took this was any like anything at all in a broad sense. I couldn't tell if whoever asked this question meant like any single game or any like tournament result or a series okay, result. If, if, if I'm going crazy with it, I wish there were NHL players at the last Olympics. Is that one? I, I don't mind that. I had two answers in mind. It wasn't that, but that's a good answer too. Um, number one, and sports again for me, soccer is such a big part of my life. If I had to go single game, I go um, Vancouver beats Boston game seven, 2011. <laughs> if I have to just say one game with it, if I'm going like a competition as a whole, um, that last world cup in the end of 2022, this is the best Portugal team I ever saw. And it was Cristiano Ronaldo's last world cup. Ronaldo, by the way, I don't know if we've talked about like favorite athletes of all time. He's far and away my favorite athlete to ever play anything. So for me, it would be Portugal having won that last World Cup if we're talking tournament as a whole. But they lost in the quarterfinals. And if they had won that quarterfinal, they would have had to play France, who arguably were the best team in that tournament. So I'm not going to say, oh, they win the quarterfinal. That's my change, because who knows if they even would have won the next two games. Um, I thought France had a better team than them. Uh, so if we're just talking single game, it's Vancouver Boston 2011. That uh, that having the Sedins having won that cup, that Canucks team having accomplished that would have been my uh, my number one. All right, that's it. Oh, and uh, to correctly answer the grade question, I give Colorado a B. 
I think uh, maybe the, the I like and enjoy the risk on Gulyayev, but there were safer bets out there. So, yeah, with how strong that second round was, I think, yeah, we you and I talked about it over text. I might have gone a different direction, but, you know, like you said, swing for the fences. Yeah, definitely. Well, this was fun, as always. Thank you all for listening. If you've made it to this point and you've listened to us yammer about hockey for this long, which you know what? I will continue yammering regardless of if we have four listeners. So for, for you dedicated listeners, thank you so much. And for anyone new, uh, anyone who may have found us through uh, through Prospect Report, our, our buddy Jeremy uh, that we had for our, our uh, draft extravaganza, our mock draft. Um, thank you for hopping on. I hope we can keep you guys on and uh, we will have some Instagram questions in the future if you want to pop some stuff on. Um, yeah, I guess, uh, unless Aiden, you have anything of note? Well, uh, without further ado, let's roll that outro. Thanks, guys. Ah!